Today our scripture reading is going to be from Romans chapter 8. We're going to read uh, 1 through 13. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh but who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to god for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is God's word. Thank you, Emery, and thank you, worship team, for leading us. Thank you for being here. Uh, happy summer. It's officially summer. Carrie and I were gone last week, but it's the first Sunday in June, and uh, I'm excited to be gathered with you all. We, we have been in a series on discipleship, and here's how we've defined disciple. If you're around church, you might hear the word disciple, and you might go, I don't know what that means. You guys say it. You want to make disciples. What are they? We just go to Matthew 4.19. Disciple, someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and joining Jesus on mission. So today, we're going to talk about the enemy of discipleship. Now, there's a lot of things that can trip you up in your discipleship. There's a lot of things that can keep you from following Jesus, can keep you from being changed by Jesus, and that can keep you from joining Jesus on the mission that he's inviting you to be a part of. There's a lot of things that can keep you from doing that. But in Romans 8, I think we see the number one enemy, the number one thing that can keep us from being good, faithful disciples of Jesus. And it's the flesh. It's the flesh. Now, Paul, in Romans 8, in the first eight verses, he uses this word flesh nine different times. And he's trying to paint a picture when he uses the word flesh of life outside of Christ. Later on, he'll use flesh, like in Galatians chapter 5, I think Al talked about it last week, he'll use flesh to talk about the kind of actions we do, the kinds of living in the flesh, the desires of the flesh. But right here in Romans 8, he's talking about uh, who you are. He's talking about an identity. He, he's talking about life outside of Jesus. And we can see in Romans 8 what he says being in the flesh means. Look at some of the phrases he uses right here, Romans chapter eight, the first uh, eight or so verses. He talks about a lifestyle according to the flesh, a mind that is set on the flesh. He talks about the, the ones who are in the flesh are hostile to God. 
They don't submit to God's law. He, he even goes a step further and says they cannot submit to God's law. And he says they actually can't please God. And all of this leads to death. He says the one who's in the flesh, it, this is death. Now, now, why is it death? And it's because the reason it's death is because those who are in the flesh are cut off from God. They, they're doing life independently of God. This is how we're all born, by the way. And, and it leads to death because God is the source of life. And being in the flesh means we're cut off from God. So Paul in Romans 8, he's, he's talking about those who are in the flesh. Now, it's important to realize we're all either in the flesh or in Christ, where he'll say in this passage, in the spirit. You're, you're only in one of those two things. You're either in the flesh, which is how we're all born, separated from God in sin, or you're in the spirit. You've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're saved from God's wrath. You're saved from condemnation. You receive the righteousness of Jesus. You're, you're only in one of those two places. But in this text, when Paul talks about being in the flesh, he kind of interweaves this language of not only being in the flesh, but living in the flesh. And that's where we're going to spend the most of our time this morning is talking about living in the flesh because I believe it is the greatest enemy of our discipleship, of being faithful followers of Jesus. Because being in the flesh means we learn to live in the flesh. Because we're born separated from Christ, we learn to live separated from Christ. He talks about those who walk according to the flesh. Now, this means a, a lifestyle. This means your actions. He talks about the mind that is set on the flesh. This is about your attitude. Your actions and your attitudes are in the flesh, not in Christ. Your actions are done independently of Christ. Your attitudes are done independently of Christ. We have learned to cope with life. We've developed strategies for living all independent from God. Because we were born in the flesh, we learned to live in the flesh. Let's talk about the ramifications of that for just a minute. Because we were separated from God, everything we learned about how to live, we learned it without God. We have learned, we are masters at trying to live without God. Thinking we don't need him, we don't need his wisdom, we don't need his thoughts, thinking we don't want to love him, we kind of trick ourselves into thinking we don't need a God, but we're always worshiping something. And so all of our actions, all of our attitudes, all of our lifestyles, we've learned independent from God. So he, the best way I could think of how to get into talking about this flesh living, living according to the flesh, first is to say, is to acknowledge that that's kind of a weird word for us in 2021. Flesh, it's kind of gruesome. Uh, it's kind of, I don't know, vulgar in a sense. I mean, flesh, it, it just, other times Paul will say body, and that's what he says in verse 13. He says, according to the body. But when he uses flesh, he's not just talking about our, our flesh and bone. He's talking about a worldly way of living. He's talking about everything that's independent from God. So when you hear flesh, don't just think a hunk of meat. Think life apart from Jesus Christ. And when you think about being apart from Jesus Christ, we've got to always make the connection that we've learned to live apart from Jesus Christ. Now, what, the question for us is, what kind of flesh did we learn? When, when Paul is writing here and he's saying, he's talking about those who are according to the flesh and how they set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
And the mind that's set on the flesh is death. The question is, what, what kind of flesh did you learn? Because your flesh is unique from my flesh. The way you learned to live without Jesus is different than the way I learned to live without Jesus. So when you were without Jesus, or if you're still without Jesus, how have you learned to live? I'll, I'll let you in a little bit of my heart as I was thinking about this living in the flesh. How did I learn the flesh? Well, I always felt the need my entire life to be smarter, stronger, uh, assertive, to be right. Whether or not it was my place to try to lead, I tried to put myself there. I wanted to be in control. This led to extreme pride, to stacking up accomplishments and achievements, always trying to seem impressive, to try to figure everything out and wrap my mind around why everything was the way it was and what it meant. But underneath all of it was a load of shame, worried that maybe I wouldn't be enough. So I thought if I could control everything, then maybe I could control that I would be enough. That if I could get the approval of others, Maybe I wouldn't, ha- I wouldn't be ashamed anymore. Maybe I wouldn't be insufficient. Maybe if others would approve of me, then I would be good enough. I needed to control every aspect of my life. I, I-, I lived with a-, a deep, deep need for others to approve me, to control everything. To- to f- it led me to freak out over any kind of failure or anything that I felt like I couldn't control. If I felt like I would fail at something, I would back away before it seemed like I got too far down the road and I was a failure. This is just part of the way I've learned my own flesh. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, go read uh, the description of number three. That's me, the achiever, the performer. That, that's how I learned the flesh. But the truth is we all learn to live in the flesh differently because when we are outside of Christ, we learn to live outside of Christ. And there's problems with our life. There's problems inside of us and outside of us. And we're always trying to find a way to cope. We're, we're going we're gonna to say, what's the meaning of life? And if you're outside of Jesus, you're going to find a meaning for life that's independent of Jesus. You're going to say, what's my purpose? And if you're not in Jesus, you're going to find a purpose that's outside of Jesus. You're going to say, what are my values? What are the things that I want to do? And what are the things I say are bad? You're going to try to find a value system that's outside of Jesus if you're outside of Jesus. You're going to have to answer questions about your own self-worth, about the worth of others, about relationships. We all answer those questions outside of Jesus. And the truth is we've spent a lifetime learning to live outside of Jesus. So what kind of flesh did you learn? I think there's two really big factors when we talk about the kind of flesh that we learn. One is sin. See, sin's the way that you rebel against God and his design through your actions and attitudes. We we all have sin. We're all born in sin, separated from God, and we learn to sin. We learn to rebel against God. We learn to rebel against God's good design. But on top of sin, there's also suffering. Suffering, this is just, I mean, there's, there's much better definitions, but he, as I thought about suffering compared to sin, if sin's the way you rebel against God, then suffering is the way that the sin of others impacts you negatively. It's, it's like what's done to you. Now, both of these things shape your flesh. Both of these kind of things shape your flesh, and here's how. Suffering, specifically in young children, can be 
devastating for the rest of their lives. We have been in the foster care world for a few years now, and we've learned the impacts of early trauma on children as they progress through different stages of their life. Very similar to the way someone in the military would have PTSD. They'll get stuck in a situation. And so maybe a a kid has gone through seasons of extreme suffering and the people that they're supposed to depend on for care and provision have abandoned them. And they've gone through suffering, which seems like a mild term for parental abandonment. And that sort of trauma and suffering has shaped them that they don't trust anyone who's in authority. Now, I'm not here to tell you this morning that that lack of trust is a sin. I'm here to tell you that Part of what that is, is that's flesh. They've learned that they, hey, I can't trust anybody in authority. And that's the way they get by in life. The way they've learned to get by in life is they say, I can't trust you in authority because when I was young, I had authority that that abandoned me, didn't care for me. It was done to them, but it still shaped the way they lived in the world. The challenge of people like that coming to know Jesus is, is that when we sit up here and we sing about a good, good father, that they have no concept. And it's a great leap to get to a good father. I didn't know there was such a thing. And, and it's hard to back up and say, no, no, there is, there is. You can trust authority. And all that's because we live in a broken world that we learn to do life independent of Jesus. Their sin and their suffering. How, how do, here's some questions I thought of to help you determine and discern what, what's the flesh in your own life. How did you learn to live with internal brokenness? Now, when you were five, I don't expect you to say internal brokenness. But when you noticed things within you that didn't work right, how did you learn to cope with it? I mean, I can assure you from a very young age, we've all found ways around doing things that are wrong. Lying, I mean, you don't, I don't have to teach any of my kids to do that. Nobody had to teach me how to lie. But one way when I know, <laughs> when I know I did something wrong when I was a little kid or my own kids, hey, well, tell me what happened. Just a blatant lie that we can go find out really quick was not true. So what's one way we've learned to cope with brokenness and internal brokenness that, oh, no, I did something wrong? Well, let me lie about it. That, that's, that's one very young and obvious way of the flesh that we can all identify with. But, but how do you deal with internal brokenness as you get older? Maybe you had a sense of shame like I did, but maybe, maybe your sense of shame led you like me to be assertive and controlling and maybe it projected outward. But, but maybe if you had a sense of shame and you looked inside and you knew, hey, I, I, I'm broken on the inside. Maybe it led you to the other side. It led you to withdraw. It led you to isolate. Maybe it led you to self-harm. It led you to depression and anxiety or suicidal thoughts. I mean, that, that also is a way of the flesh because those kinds of things are ways of thinking about life without Jesus. Now, I, at this point, I've got to stop because we're, we're getting into... Um, we're getting into a realm of thinking that that impacts counseling and therapy and things like that. And I just want to take just a second to, to help you wrap your minds around how does counseling and therapy uh, wrap into this? How does this, because talking about this, hey, I, I'll tell you right up front, I don't believe that the gospel is a magic pill that when someone comes at you and says, hey, I'm, 
I'm struggling with self-harm and depression and suicidal thoughts that we just kind of lob this gospel pill and say, hey, Jesus loves you, and we, we just kind of hope that makes it all better. I, I, don't, I just don't think that's how the gospel works because I don't think that's how we work. I think the gospel is foundational. That without the gospel, any other remedy for those kinds of things are ultimately just confusing you, making you think you're fixed when you're really not. So, so I, think, I think therapy minus Jesus can fool you into thinking you're fixed. I think Jesus plus therapy can be necessary because our broken world can cause pain and hurt that is so deep and so devastating that working through its effects needs to be done in that kind of setting. Like our world can be so painful. The hurt you experience can be so deep and devastating. The sins in your life, the addictions can be so deeply rooted that we're foolish if we just think, Laba, a gospel bond. Hey, Jesus loves you. Did that not work? That Sometimes therapy, but it's got to be plus Jesus. It's got to be plus, you've got to have Jesus as a foundation or else you're going to fool yourself into thinking you're fixed when you're really not. The other caveat I've got to give is I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I could recommend you to some or I can find some for you. But there are issues in our life that we need to go to someone who's a professional and help work through some of these things. But our point this morning is, is not to sit and to talk about therapy or counseling. Our point this morning is to look at the word of God and say, when we're talking about being a disciple, part of the reason we get in our own way and living like a disciple is because we learn to live without Jesus. We've learned to live without Jesus. Our point this morning is that when we were in the flesh, we learned to live like we were in the flesh. And at a minimum, when you become a follower of Jesus, you're now in the Spirit and can walk in the Spirit. And we all need different things to help us get there. But at a minimum, you need Jesus, you need a body of believers to help walk with you. But there's no doubt in my mind that for some of us, we need counseling. We need therapy. We need to work through the way sin has latched its claws in our hearts so deeply that it's not a matter of someone just telling you to stop or to repent. So I just, I I wanted to say that enough to say there's room for that as long as it's built on the foundation of Jesus. But back to our question of what kind of flesh did you learn? How did you learn to live independently of Jesus? The flavor of our flesh could look very different. I've heard someone say, maybe you have a flavor of the flesh that's like a good steak. That kind of flavor, it's good. It looks good. Maybe the way you've learned to cope with life is you've learned, if I follow the rules, I've got it. If I look good and get others to like me, Follow the rules, keep in line with the cultural norms and status quo so your flesh looks good. So maybe if that's your kind of flesh, you've gotten by by maybe people don't think there's a real problem under the hood of your heart. But the other side of the flesh is maybe independently of Jesus, you come over here and you're the exact opposite. Let me rebel openly and often. 
And no one has to question if there's problems under the hood of your heart when you crack that thing open because guess what? Everybody sees you wear it on your sleeve all the time. Maybe part of the way you've learned to cope with life is you said, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. Nobody's ever going to stop me. Nobody's going to challenge me. This is who I am. But we've all learned to live independently of Jesus. We could spend uh, months worth of counseling sessions. I have working through this very question. What kind of flesh did you learn? What kind of flesh did you learn? How did you learn to live independently of Jesus? How did you learn to deal with internal brokenness? How did you learn to live with success or with failure? How did you learn to live with relational brokenness? When you experience brokenness and fracture in relationships in your life, maybe it was with parents or with siblings or with close friends, how did you learn to deal with that? How did you learn to deal with pain in your life? See, we all have answers to these questions. This isn't a matter of yes or no. This is a matter of how, because we all have an answer. We've all learned to live with it. The invitation of discipleship is to come and learn how to live with Jesus in the middle of all these things. See, following Jesus doesn't promise that all these things are going to be done happening to you, but they promise that Jesus is going to be present with you when all of these things happen. And the only question for us as disciples is, are we going to walk through these things with Jesus or are we going to walk through these things independently from Jesus? See, becoming a follower of Jesus, you will still face internal brokenness. You will still face times when you feel something in your heart is just not right. And at that moment, will you walk according to the flesh or the spirit? When you, as a follower of Jesus, face internal brokenness, will you go to Jesus and live on the resources he gives you and walk with him through that and let him tell you what's true of you? Or will you go back to the flesh when you face that internal brokenness and try to deal with it in your own resources? But see, that's, that's exactly what Paul's talking about in Romans 8. Actually, all of Romans 8, all the way up to verse 11, it's all just this barrage of truth. He's just kind of pouring out all these things that are true of you or were true of you. And and it's all leading up to verses 12 and 13, but over and over again, he's talking about either being in Christ or the Spirit or being in the flesh. That's all he's doing. And, And what he is saying here is when you were in the flesh, you walked according to flesh, you set your mind on the things of the flesh, you were dead because you were hostile to God, you didn't want to submit to God, you you could not actually obey his law. He says in verse 9, but however. You're not in the flesh if you have the Spirit. You're you're not in the flesh. And he's reminding these Roman Christians of who they are if they're in Christ. What does it mean that you're in Christ? And this gets at the very good news of the gospel because the gospel is that Jesus saves us before we learn to live right. Romans 5, 6 to 8, go back a couple chapters, and here's what he says. For while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see what Paul's saying in Romans 5? He's saying the good news of the gospel is that Jesus saves you before you learn to live right. He saves you exactly while you are a sinner in rebellion against God, while you are still in the flesh, living in the flesh, walking according to the flesh, setting your minds on the things according to the flesh. That is precisely when Jesus enters in to save you. That's why everything we believe is built on grace. 
and the benefits of being in Christ, you go back to the first four verses here in Romans 8. There's therefore now no condemnation. Being in Christ means you're not condemned. How does that change the way you deal with internal brokenness? When you face something internally that you sense there's something wrong and twisted in your own heart, you can go back to the truth of Romans 8, 1 and say, but I'm not condemned. I mean, before God's eyes, he does not see me as deserving eternal separation from him. So whatever's wrong in my heart right now, it, it's, it's getting better because I know in Jesus, I, I'm not condemned. The benefits of being in Christ is that there's no condemnation. You are freed from the law of sin and death. You're freed from the destiny of death lying before you. You've received life in peace. And that's what he says. Those who uh, set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. That's verse six. You receive life and peace, and then you also receive the Holy Spirit. See, it says the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And then in verse nine, he says, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, if you are in Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit. I'll refer you to last week's message from Pastor Al. You have been filled with the spirit. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Why? So that you don't have to live out of the resources you learned when you were in the flesh. Jesus doesn't just change your destination one day when you die. Jesus gives you a whole new pattern for living right now right now and he does that by giving you the holy spirit so that you can actually live like you're in christ and you don't have to live like you're in the flesh that's paul's entire point in romans 8 you're not in the flesh you're in the spirit look when you're in the flesh this is how you live but but you're not in the flesh so don't live like you're in the flesh that's what paul is begging them to see you're not in the flesh anymore You've been delivered from that. You're in the spirit now, so let's walk according to the spirit. You don't have to go back to living independent of Christ. You don't have to try to get through life on your own. You don't have to depend on your own resources or wisdom or strength. You can come and live in Christ. Here, he's given you the Holy Spirit. So that's where we get to verse 12, and he says, so then, brothers, we're debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. He's saying, look, we don't have to be a slave to the flesh anymore. We don't have to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, being in Christ is an instantaneous change. Right away, you're in G- you receive the benefits we just talked about you're no longer condemned you are sick god sees you as righteous you are loved you are adopted into his family it is instant change being in christ living in christ is a lifetime of change why is it so hard to change that's one of the marks of a disciple being changed by jesus and we said in that message that it is a lifetime but why well because we learned over a lifetime how to learn how to live without jesus Those habits run deep in our mind and in our hearts and in our hands. We learned it so well how to live without Jesus. So now, part of what we're doing as disciples is we're unlearning how to live according to the flesh. We have to unlearn something that came natural to us. 
right? I, I picture um, the athletes that have a neck or spinal cord injury, and then they eventually have to rewalk, learn how to walk again, relearn how to walk. I mean, and, and, and it's not just athletes, anybody who has an injury like that. There's a season of being paralyzed and you can't move. And then once you can move again, you have to relearn this basic thing that you don't even really remember learning in the first place because you were so young when you learned how to walk. And you have to learn how to put one foot in front of the other again. And it's kind of the same way as Christians that we have to relearn how to walk, but with a totally different mindset. I I was talking just the other day with Cece. And we were talking about why we do some of the things we do. And we were talking about sin in our hearts. Sin makes us do some of these things. But because of Jesus, we don't have to just dive into sin every time something happens. We can slow down and we can ask Jesus to help us. So we were talking about sin. And and finally she, I was wondering if she was going to put this together at some point. She said, but didn't Jesus pay for sin? I said, yeah. And I mean just all the frustration that CC could bring. She goes, then why is it still in there? Ah, (laughs) yes, that's the question. Why is it still in there? While we've been saved from the penalty of sin, we've been brought out from the slavery of sin and the power of sin. The habits of sin still remain. That is the flesh. That is our greatest enemy as disciples of Jesus. See, we were in the flesh. And when we were in the flesh, well, we learned to live like it. We didn't need God for anything. That's why stories of life transformation that are so drastic are amazing to us. Because for someone to be walking this way and then just totally turn around and change everything about their life, we know how hard that is. Because those habits run deep. While we were in the flesh, we learned really well to live in the flesh. But now you're not in the flesh anymore. You're in Christ. Hallelujah. That's why we're singing. That's why we're praising Jesus. That's why we're here. But what's the problem? It's really hard to learn to live like we're in Christ. That's the problem. So now we go back and we sing these songs, but we feel like hypocrites because we know we don't always live like it. That's the great problem with Christian. We're all hypocrites. And to the unbelievers that say that, I say a hearty amen. We are. This is exactly what we are. But that's how God designed the Christian life, is to tell you you are somebody before you, like, before you start living like that somebody. And all that's to prove God's great grace, that he can love somebody who didn't earn his love. If it was the other way around, we'd be earning God's love. He'd be, he'd be saying, save yourself, act like a saved person, then maybe I'll give you some attention. And we'd all be striving and striving and striving. And then if we ever felt like God loved us, we'd be saying, look, I did it. I got to the place where God loves me. But God's whole point is to say that that's not how it works. I love you before that. While you were sinners, Christ died for you. Before you'd shown one ounce of potential, Christ died for you. So it's backwards. We don't do something in order to be something. We are something. And that leads us to do something different. But the challenge of the flesh is exactly what Paul's saying here. Have to kill it. Because even though we're in Christ, we're still tempted. It's ingrained in us to live without him. Do you you understand that? Are you tracking with that? It's ingrained in us to live without Jesus. So what's the solution? Paul uh, didn't really hold back when he gave his solution. Put to death the deeds of the body. (laughs) 
finally uses a softer word like body, but then he says, put it to death. You can't let those ways of living linger. You've got to kill it. What does it mean to kill it? It means to cut off the source of life. I think there's a couple points we can see from verses 12 and 13 that bring us to some application. The only way to unlearn the ways of the flesh is to kill the ways of the flesh. If we're going to kill the ways of the flesh, the first thing we've got to realize is that our only hope to kill to kill the flesh is that Christ did it first. That Christ actually brought us out from under the power of the flesh by dying on the cross and paying the penalty for our sin. You can't take a step without realizing that. This isn't you trying to do something without Jesus. There are fleshly Christians too. Maybe your flesh looks like that and that's how you want to come across, how you think you can cope with life. I'm going to look my best Christian self. But the first step is to realize, you know what? Uh, The death of Christ is is the only way I can take a step forward. The the next thing though, we've got to slow down for self-awareness. Slow down for self-awareness. What's your flavor of the flesh? What's your unique manifestation of the way you learn to live without Christ? How'd you learn to cope with life? What's your strategy for living without Jesus? You've got to slow down for some self-awareness to understand what those things are, but then we've got to slow down for the self-awareness to understand what gives those things life. When am I tempted to go that way? And for a lot of us, that takes slowing down, thinking, meditating on Scripture, simply being with God. I mean, buy yourself a journal and write. That helps tremendously for you to slow down enough to go, okay, God, why am I? I noticed at the end of this week just anxiety. I I just was waking up, I wasn't sleeping well, and I just kept fighting the fact that I knew I needed to slow down and be with God. And I mean, I was doing that in the morning and waking up and reading scripture, but it was in a very distracted way. And this morning I just, I woke up and I sat down in my journal and I just started writing. God, I've just got this, I've got this anxiety, I've got this regret, and I call it emotional tracing. Because emotions aren't the problem, they're showing you something's wrong. Get under the hood when you see emotions, go under the hood. What are they leading to? Why are, you, why are you reacting like that emotionally? And I just, I realized I just have all these things going on in my heart. And, all, and, I, and I was actually had a standard that I felt like I needed to be a certain kind of husband and a certain kind of dad. And so it was causing me anxiety that I felt like I wasn't getting to that point. So again, what, where's my flesh in all of that? Well, my flesh was that I was defining dad and husband apart from God. I, needed, I need God to define those things for me. But, but we, I can't learn that unless I slow down enough to think about it with God. And it's the same for all of us. We've got to slow down to be self-aware about the kinds of flesh that are going on in your life, the kinds of things you're tempted to do without Jesus. And then you've got to figure out what leads you to get in there and how can you eventually develop habits and patterns to cut those things off before they get way down the road. Slow down for self-awareness and then take away the, the things that give it life and vitality. Aim to kill the root of it and not just the fruit of it. The whole principle of living according to the flesh is it's a whole fruit focus thing. You're trying to look a certain way and be a certain way, but inside you're rotting and dying without Jesus. It would be a shame if you came to Jesus and then all you were focused on was trying to like staple apples to an orange tree. Don't, don't do that. Let's not waste our time on that. Focus on the root. So when, when you notice flesh in your life, 
go to the root of what's causing that thing rather than just going to the thing and saying, I really need to stop being angry. We got to back up and figure out why you're angry and where's that good emotion going wrong. And the last thing is we've got to surrender to the Spirit's work inside of us. Surrender to the Spirit's work inside of us. This is, uh, this is one of those messages that I feel like I'm preaching in process because God is, is bringing me to a place where he's teaching me about this. And I, and I hope it's something we can talk about a lot in the future because walking according to the flesh, I, I really do believe is the greatest enemy to our own discipleship. The problem I don't think is outside of us. I think it's right inside of us. That because we were all born in the flesh, we learn to live in the flesh. We learn to live without Jesus. And it takes great work to learn to live with and in Jesus. And it takes great work to unlearn living in the flesh. Let's pray. God, we want you this morning. We need you this morning. And uh, God, I just... Would you teach us how to walk in Christ? Would you teach us, God, the ways that we don't walk in Christ? Would you teach us the the ways our flesh take over? Would you set us free from that, Lord? Um, I know for me... I don't like giving a lot of thought to how I walk in the flesh. I like to ignore it or think my problems are kind of easy to solve. But Jesus, you, you want to take us to the heart of why we do what we do. And so I pray this morning, God, that um, we, would, we would hold your hand and walk to that place. The depths of our own hearts. And that's a slow work and uh, it's a hard and difficult work but it's a worthy work for you to take us down into our hearts and show us here's why you do what you do and here's the, the habits and the hangups and the sin and the suffering you've been through and here's, here's why you've learned to do these kinds of things and here's why you react in these situations. Jesus, you know us perfectly. Psalm 139 tells us that. And so we pray for enough self-awareness that we can walk with you and put to death the deeds of the body. But we know the point is not self-awareness. The point, I mean, that's not the end of it all. The point is self-awareness so that we can change and walk with you. So I pray that our focus wouldn't be on ourselves this morning, but our focus would be on you, Jesus. That this is just a necessary part of following you. So teach us to live like we are in Christ and not live like we don't have you. In Jesus' name we pray. I invite you to stand up and we're going to sing uh, in response to God's words. Nathan, lead us.